In November of 1785, the Scottish poet Robert Burns uh, wrote a poem entitled To a Mouse. Do you know it? It's coming to your mind right now. I know it is, right? Maybe this will help. A little hint. Uh, He wrote this poem after he overturned the mouse's nest with a plow. I don't know if he's going through his field doing some gardening, but he overturned the mouse's nest and that's what inspired him to write this poem. So now, now you know what poem I'm talking about, right? Okay, I didn't really expect that you would immediately recognize that poem, but there is one line from that poem that I'm sure that you have heard before. And so I am going to read a stanza from the poem in my very best Scottish accent. Please don't be offended. Okay? But here we go. I want you to listen. But mousy, thou art no lie vain. Improving foresight may be vain. The best laid schemes of mice and men gain after glay. And lay us not but grief and pain for promised joy. So I don't know. Maybe it was Irish. Maybe it was Scottish. Maybe it was just pirate. I'm not sure. But did you hear the line? that you recognized. And maybe you've heard it more often this way, the best laid plans of mice and men go oft awry. You know that line? Uh, That's a phrase that's come into widespread usage, and I think it's because that's our experience, right? I mean, it seems so often that our plans go awry or a glay. As much as we try to plan and prepare for things and we lay out all those plans, they get disrupted. We need to pivot, right? It's been like our favorite word over the last three years. We got to deal with shifting situations and changing scenarios and, and we got to be ready to change and adapt. And, and sometimes, sometimes our plans, they just completely unravel. And often, they can cause, as Robert Burns pointed out, they can cause grief and pain when our plans don't go according to plan. Our plans often meet road bumps. And and so maybe you you just start to assume and, and anticipate that and you just expect that any plan that you make, even the the best laid plan that you might have, a perfect plan, even all the preparation that you put into it, and even the ones that are successful, successful, even the ones that we actually achieve something with, even those plans hit snags and complications and difficulties and challenge. And maybe if you feel that way, then maybe you also assume that that's the case for anybody's plans. What about God? Uh, What about his plans? Do you apply the same filter and the same kind of mindset? Do you anticipate the same things when it comes to God's plans, even God's best laid plans? Do you just assume and expect that they're going to hit snags, that there are going to be challenges, that no plan can actually be perfect, even the successful ones? And if you think that way, and you know that God is in control of your life, then, then maybe you're a little bit fearful 
about God's plan for you. And maybe you're a little bit fearful that your life could be overturned. Your life could be destroyed by the threats of this world. My dear friends, I'm here this morning to tell you that you can have confidence in God's plan. You can have confidence in your God and his best laid plans because God's plans always succeed. And you can be confident in God's plans, especially because the greatest, the biggest, the the most important, best laid plan of God, Jesus, accomplished. And he followed it perfectly, precisely. Every single detail was exactly where it needed to be. He was determined to accomplish God's plan, and he would not be deterred, no matter who or what tried to get in the way of that plan. And so I want you to walk away today and know how truly confident, fully confident you can be in your God and in Jesus, your Savior, because he was determined for you. And we see that determination of Jesus in this interaction that he had with the Pharisees in Luke chapter 13. We're also going to see that determination of Jesus in Luke chapter 22. But here in Luke chapter 13, these Pharisees come to him and they said, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Now what's in the mind of these Pharisees right now? It's a little bit interesting to think about. It's possible that they had genuine concern for Jesus, but it's not probable, not likely. This Herod that's described here, he's known as Herod Antipas. He was uh, the kind of the puppet king, because really the Romans were in charge, but he's kind of the puppet king who ruled over Galilee, which is where Jesus was from originally, and a region known as Perea, which is probably where Jesus was at this time. But this Herod, we find out in Luke chapter 9, he had heard about Jesus and he wanted to see Jesus. This is the same Herod that Pontius Pilate sent Jesus to when he was on trial in front of him. And and when Jesus got to him, then Herod was expecting to see a miracle performed. He wanted to see kind of a magic show from Jesus. Herod didn't see Jesus as a political threat. Herod had really no motivation to try to get rid of Jesus, to shut him down, to eliminate him. But the Pharisees, they did view Jesus as a threat. The Pharisees, they had a strong motive because they were losing their power, their control over the people. They had a very strong motive to shut him down to eliminate him, to to push him out of their territory. And so it's kind of interesting to think about who is Jesus really addressing when he said what he said in reply, where he says, go tell that fox. He calls the Pharisees on their craftiness, using that animal, the fox. Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. 
And while he called out the Pharisees on their craftiness, it's really the rest of what Jesus said that's so important. Anyone here ever seen the movie Cool Runnings? Yeah, yeah. It's all right. You can be proud about that. It's one of my favorites, okay? I love that movie. It's awesome. Cool Runnings is about uh, several Jamaican sprinters want to go to the Olympics. One of them in particular, the main character, his name is Doris Bonnick, and he is determined to go to the Olympics, but a tragic accident that happened in the trials means that he can't go to the summer games, so he has an idea. He's going to create a Jamaican bobsled team to go to the Winter Olympics, and he goes to a man named Irving Blitzer. He's going to ask him to coach their Jamaican bobsled team. And I want you to watch this scene because Blitzer doesn't really want to. So watch this scene from the movie Cool Runnings. So there, I know the volume was a little quiet as you're watching it, but Doris said, I'll come back tomorrow. He said, maybe today's a bad day. And he said, yeah, you think? He said, okay, I'll come back tomorrow. And the day after that, and the next day, and the next day. And Doris was determined. He wasn't going to allow anything to get in his way. He was going to keep pressing forward because he wanted to get to the Olympics. And Jesus was determined to accomplish his goal. And his goal was far greater than the Olympics, far greater than winning a medal. His goal was the salvation of the entire human race. And he knew everything that accomplishing that goal would entail. He knew that it would mean standing on trial before Pontius Pilate, before Herod, before the chief priests, teachers of the law. He knew that they would mock and ridicule and beat him. He knew that ultimately he would be condemned to a torturous death on a cross. He knew all of that, but he would not back down. He was determined. And so Jesus said he's going to keep on doing the very things that incited the Pharisees to anger. He would drive out demons. He had been healing people miraculously, curing them of their diseases and their sicknesses. And Jesus would continue to do so. He would continue to do these things that demonstrated exactly who he was with this miraculous, divine, almighty power that he truly was the Son of God. But Jesus' ultimate goal was not to drive out demons. Jesus' ultimate goal was not to heal individuals of their sicknesses. Jesus' ultimate goal was to drive from every human heart the demonic force of sin. Jesus' ultimate purpose was to heal the entire human race from the sickness that infects us all and leads to death for every single one of us. The very sickness of sin. These 
instances of miraculous power. They gave evidence of who Jesus was. But it would be his torturous death on the cross that would demonstrate God's amazing compassion, his miraculous mercy and almighty grace for you and me. And Jesus was determined to accomplish that goal. And Jesus said that he would press on. He said, I must press on to die in Jerusalem. It's really interesting to think about the phrase that Jesus said there, I must. Do you know that that is only true if Jesus makes it true? There was nothing else that compelled Jesus to go to Jerusalem, to suffer as he did, and to die on the cross, except his incredible compassion for you. And this is only true if Jesus makes it true. When Jesus saw that you were trapped in your disobedience to God, in your rebellion. Jesus saw that you were separated from God and that that separation, it would last for all eternity unless someone intervened. And so Jesus gave everything. Gave his very life in order to reunite you with God. He said, I must, because he knew that that's what it would take to fulfill God's perfect plan of salvation for every single human being, and that includes you, and me. Jesus said, I must, because uh, he had this consuming, perfect, and holy compassion for you, every single broken piece of you. And even the brokenness inside of you that so often tries to stand in the way of that amazing compassion and grace of our God, that same brokenness that Jesus lamented when he said those words about Jerusalem. And he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you, you were not willing. Time and time again, God had sent his prophets to be his messengers to the people, to call them back to his side, to call them back to his incredible grace. And time and time again, those messengers had been rejected. Sometimes that message that they brought, it needed to be strong, it needed to be bold, because sometimes it needed to reveal their own self-righteousness. Sometimes it needed to expose their wicked abuse of God-given sexuality. Sometimes it needed to condemn their hearts for their lack of kindness and compassion. Ultimately, God needed to use that strong language so that he could draw those people back to his side, back under his wings like, like the hen does with her chicks. Because he wanted to protect them. Oh, a mother hen drawing her chicks to her side, she offers warmth and she offers comfort, but the most important thing that she offers is protection. God longed to protect his people, but they continued 
to reject that protection. So what about you? Do you reject God's messengers? When God's law reveals your own self-righteousness, do you confess your pride? When God's law condemns your wicked abuse of, of human sexuality and this gift that God has given, do you, do you turn away from that? Do you pursue God's blessing in a godly way? When God's word or a messenger that he sends, a servant of his, comes to you and exposes your heart and its lack of kindness and compassion, do you turn and pray to God that he would work through you, that he would flow his own love, his own grace, his own compassion, that it would flow through you and connect to others? God longs to draw you in and protect you. God longs to draw you in as that hen draws you in. And Jesus' words here, they address our entire human race. He could have said, America, America. He could have said, Houston, Houston. Siena. He could have said, divine Savior, divine Savior. He could have said, Kevin, Kevin. And he could have said your name. As he longs to draw you in for his protection. To keep you protected from the viper's fangs. Because those fangs, the poison that they deliver, they punctured his skin and his body and inflicted pain and death on him on the cross because he loves you. So God longs to protect you, but notice that he doesn't force you. You can be unwilling. He doesn't compel you against your will, which means that God's plans have a very interesting dynamic because there is nothing that we can do to draw closer to God when we're in our sins and we are lost in them. We need God to draw us with his word of grace, with the gospel message. We need him to change our hearts and by his Holy Spirit to create faith in those hearts. And while we can't do anything to draw closer to him, we can reject his message can push it aside and Jesus mourns he mourns over all who do so who all who are unwilling to submit to his amazing love and compassion and grace he mourns when we kill his words and his messengers and we keep them from reaching our heart these gracious invitations that he extends to us and so I'm so thankful that I know that so many of you in this room here today, you have faith in Jesus, and that is a wonderful thing. But let us continue to guard our hearts against this rejection, against pushing back against God's word. Because we too, in our own hearts, we can, we can carve out our own little territories, those little portions of our hearts that we don't want Jesus to touch. 
And when Jesus calls with his invitation, we can reject that call. We can push it aside. We can throw the stones at those messengers who come to us. We can turn a deaf ear to the words that God speaks through his Bible. But thanks be to God that he longs for us. And he is determined. And so today, and tomorrow, and the next day, and the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that, Jesus continues to call with his gracious invitation. God constantly calls with this invitation to draw us in. He calls with the invitation where he says, Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Come to me when, when those demons attack and they, and they drive your heart to darkness and despair. Come to me so that I can drive them far from your heart. Come to me when you recognize how sick your soul is because I, I can bring healing. Come to me so that you may know peace. Come to me when you feel lost and I can show you the purposes that I have for your life. Come to me and rejoice in what I have already accomplished for you. Come to me. His invitation calls out again and again and so we can rejoice in the truth of God's determination. We can rejoice in God's best laid plan for us. And remember that even as Jesus drew each day, every step, nearer and nearer to his goal, nearer to that death that he would die in our place, Jesus continued to recognize that best laid plan of God. And he said, your will be done. Whether he was surrounded by enemies or friends, Lord God, your will be done. Whether his disciples stayed awake or fell asleep, your will be done. Whether the people shouted out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, or they shouted out, crucify him, crucify him, Jesus said, your will be done. Remember Jesus' determination to accomplish God's plan. Robert Burns wrote a poem to remind us that our best laid plans often go awry and they bring grief and pain when we hoped for joy. But God wrote the truth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The truth of his best laid plan that took our overturned lives and made them right again for all eternity. God's best laid plan that delivers an incredible hope for an everlasting joy. And God's plans always succeed. Amen? Amen.